welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, I am speaking to Dr. Lee Vowles, a counselling psychologist and the clinical director of the London Practice. Today, I will be asking him about the subject of EMDR, eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing, which hit the headlines in 2021 after Prince Harry shared it was one of the forms of therapy he worked with to move through the impact of trauma he experienced as a child. Lee is an EMDR practitioner and the perfect person to explain how this particular therapy works, the benefits of this practice, and how it can support people living with trauma, phobias, anxiety, and depression too. I'm going to talk to you today about EMDR, which I'd love for you to first of all by telling us what EMDR actually stands for. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And how does EMDR work? The EMDR works by basically taking the client back to the trauma and processing the emotions around the trauma. And it works with memories, doesn't it? So why is it so important to identify the earliest trauma or memory? Well, the earliest trauma is called the touchstone memory. And it's important to identify key memories that are always connected to the current problems that the client is having or maybe having. But saying that, it's not always the case. Sometimes it's the most prominent memory or the memory that has the most emotions around it or the highest chaotic emotions around it. Okay, so it wouldn't necessarily take someone back into early childhood if, for example, they had just lost a loved one or been through something traumatic five years prior to starting EMDR. Exactly. And Dr. Valls, you've previously likened EMDR to being on a fast-moving train. Will you unpack this metaphor in a bit more detail for our listeners? I certainly will. So imagine the therapist is the train conductor operating a train and the client is the passenger on that train. When the eye movements begin, the train starts to move. And when you try and look out of the window of a fast-moving train, you can't really see what's on the outside through the window. The therapist is the conductor and the eye movements is the train. The client, who is the passenger, is asked to look out of the window when the eye movement stops. And we just see what where we land on, we see what comes up, and then we go with that, and then we start moving the train again. And if you think about it, there's a lot of distance that's passed between one moment to the next, and that's a representation of the client's processing. They process quite a lot, but sometimes they don't even know what they're processing. They're just in the emotion. And practically, how does it actually work? What's going on in the brain? Well, we're using bilateral stimulation when we attach to the trauma. But if you think about REM sleep, another way of describing this, if you think about REM sleep, our eyes rapid eye movement, our eyes rapidly move from the left to the right when we are asleep. This means that we're processing or downloading the data or the information that we've experienced in the day. This is kind of a way of doing that when you're awake. 
Okay, and then practically, because I've had experience of EMDR before, and your fingers are usually attached to an electrode, isn't it? So it's kind of pulsing through your your fingertip. Will you just explain, so what, in a therapeutic setting, actually, what is the client and the therapist, actually, the interaction between them during the EMDR session yeah. looking like? Well, I use the, the light that moves the eyes from the left to the right. I don't use the pulses, but some therapists do use that. But firstly, it's important that the client feels really safe with the therapist. So there's a good rapport between the client and therapist. Um, What we do is then we set up a positive anchor, like a positive memory, which is attached to a positive emotion, which creates like a safe space for the client to go back to if it gets a bit turbulent. We install this to be used after the the EMDRs occurred as well. The client identifies the most visual image related to the trauma a negative belief about themselves, some related emotions, and able to identify a bodily sensation that goes with that. Then the eye movements will start, following the feeling. So someone has to be able to identify the trauma themselves? Yes. There's some prep work that's involved, and that usually takes, we need to take some history, and that usually takes a couple of sessions to really get a detailed history of the client and uncover what traumas do exist in the past, from the past. And would someone coming to have the EMDR have to have experienced a trauma or could they just come for more generalized anxiety saying, look, Dr. Lee, I don't really think that I've got anything that's particularly traumatic in my past, but I have generalized anxiety yeah. and it manifests itself in OCD or an eating disorder. What can you do to help me? Absolutely. We, we also treat generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, phobias, social anxiety, but I've also begun to use EMDR when clients feel blocked from their emotion. So people who can't really access their emotion easily, I'm finding this a great tool to get people in touch with their emotions. And how does that then help them move forward? Well, we have to connect our what, what's going on in our mind to what's going on in our body, our feeling, in order to process. So if you can't feel then you're not processing, it's just a narrative. Which I think is often the issue with quite a lot of psychoanalytical therapy is that you almost relive the trauma by talking about it. You're almost re-treading those neural pathways that lead to the trauma. And in talking about it and reinforcing them and going over it and going over it, in fact, I don't think it's helping you move on from it by continuing to talk about it. Sometimes it cements them further. I don't know whether you agree with that. I guess it depends on what you mean by continuing. They need to be addressed. I think if you continue to relive a trauma, it can get to a point where it's unhelpful if you have processed it. And a good indication if somebody's processed a trauma is if they've stopped feeling something about the trauma, if they're a bit blasé about it. But you've got to be really careful when you're working with people in the beginning because people might we might identify a trauma and people might not be able to identify any feeling around the trauma that doesn't mean that that's not a traumatic experience because as a trauma response, we can kind of cut off from our feelings. So it requires a little bit of investigation. But I do agree with you. If you're continuing to go over the same trauma and you don't feel like you need to go over it after you've kind of processed the the emotion around it, then you can argue that it's pointless. It's not really actually moving the client further forward. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, 
is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. What disorders have you seen EMDR and having the greatest results for? It's usually a very common one that I encounter is people have deeply negative beliefs about themselves and we identify an earlier trauma that is developed and created or started to develop and create that negative belief about the self. So it's about reframing how somebody perceives themselves. And this works with self-esteem, how people engage social anxiety, how people engage with others. There can be a disparity to how they feel they're being and how they are wanting to be to appease another. Yeah, so a degree of dissonance that's going on with a client. And I can imagine with things like eating disorders, alcoholism, drug addiction, like you are engaging in a destructive behavior, which comes from somewhere. Yes. But what I'm curious about is once you've done the EMDR, does the client walk out and they're said after a few sessions, they're just like, right, I don't want to engage in this behavior anymore? Or does it then require follow-up treatment, which is then helping them to rein back in those behaviors, which might, say, serve the disorder that they came to you in the first place to treat? So the EMDR, after we've done this, the actual eye movement session, memories, further memories, dreams, it has like almost a knock-on effect, like a ripple effect. And I require a follow-up session about a week later. I ask them to treat that from an observatory point of view and just write, make a note of things. And then we can try and make sense of it about a week later. So it's an ongoing process, basically. It doesn't start and end as you come in and out of the office into my practice room. It's a continual process. But then in that follow-up session, that's when we can reframe certain things. And that's when I also check out the trauma from a scale of zero to 10, and we just see how sensitive they are when they think about that trauma. And usually, a lot of the time, it's, it's much lower. The goal is zero, to get the emotional response to the trauma to zero, but that's not always the case. And say it hasn't been like a catastrophic trauma, i.e. it's been a slow-burning trauma. So, for example, separation anxiety as a child or toxic relations, familial relationships, things like that when someone's still being exposed to those toxic relationships or they still feel, as you alluded to earlier, they're still replaying that or role-playing it out in other relationships in their lives, how do you see EMDR helping them moving forward? I guess by them being able to see the dynamic, there's something hopefully empowering about being able to see what's going on and then they can remove themselves from the situation. That's not always the case. Some people do continue to be in dysfunctional relationships or toxic relationships, but there's only so much we can do from a therapeutic point of view. Hopefully the client is empowered enough to be able to make a change for themselves. And presumably also helping them in to enforce more personal boundaries and develop a, a more of a shield, I guess. Yeah. And the boundaries come when people develop a healthier relationship with themselves and that and I guess going back to the, one of the most common issues that I do see is people's relationship with themselves. They don't have a very positive or healthy relationship with themselves. In fact, most people are not even aware they're in a relationship with themselves. But what that does with that awareness, hopefully the ideal outcome is to be able to create boundaries, healthier boundaries in order for self-care and to look after, take care of self. 
And typically, how many sessions do you see your clients for? What's interesting is what I start. If somebody comes specifically for EMDR, I would say it's about six to eight sessions. If somebody's solely coming in to focus on one specific trauma, but what I've started to do is weave EMDR into longer-term clients who are who are just in normal talk and therapy. So I use it in lots of different ways. But if somebody's wanting to come for specific EMDR to treat a specific trauma, I would say about eight sessions. And do you recommend people do that? Or do you think it's actually more effective when it's incorporated into other therapy? There's a lot of things to take into account, such as cost, time. Ideally, everybody in this planet would have therapy and the world would be a better place. But EMDR, it's almost like six weeks therapy condensed into two weeks, if you like. I like to see it as more of an accelerated process. And do you see it lasting long term? Do you think the implications of EMDR are long lasting? Or do you see people coming back to you, say, a couple of years later to have a top up session? I've never had anybody return wanting EMDR on the same issue. Interesting. I've had a 100% success rate with the EMDR that I've given about the issues that I've been working with. So how, Dr. Lee, does EMDR affect the brain? EMDR opens up the memory networks in the brain and many clients may notice new memories, additional details or dreams after the first session. Clients are asked to make observations and in the follow-up session, that's when we'll try and make some sense of their previous session. Well, it's fascinating and I think it's definitely a form of therapy that not actually that many people know about unless you're well-versed in in different forms of therapy. I, for one, definitely didn't know about it in my teens and I think it's interesting the array of disorders that it is used to treat and it could be highly effective. So thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258.